if a movement is what is getting focused on, then I've lost their emotive connection in that moment. So it was, I knew that I was still working on things when I would get comments like that. Although again, it's nice. Oh, thank you for acknowledging my good technique. But if you're seeing my technique and my dancing, something else is missing. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I am honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Hello everyone, welcome to the Ballad Dance Live podcast, a new episode, and today I am so happy to present Aubrey Hale, who will definitely rock your world. Aubrey has been a professional dance artist for over 20 years, including touring and assist directing large ensembles across the United States, Europe, China, Taiwan, and Japan. She has been on faculty at California State University, Los Angeles, teaching credited courses in Pilates, fitness, and dance for over 10 years. She owned and directed Movement Art Space, a dance and fitness studio in Los Angeles, as well as she has been seen as a featured artist in numerous films and videos and was on the Ballet Dance Hit Sensation of Fit TV with her All-Stars workouts. She is the artistic director and choreographer for the Lumina Dance Company, the Kabila Folk Dance Company and the Biagia Dance Theatre. And in this conversation, she is sharing such an amazing journey throughout dance exploration, starting from passion and love to uh, to American cabaret style and going deep into digging to the roots of folkloric dances of related to ballet dance cultures and later also exploring a completely different world of experimental dance and not only going from one stage to another but successfully combining all her different interests and and passions way beyond even what I've just mentioned uh, briefly in this introduction. So get ready for a portion of inspiration and uh, thoughts for you to think and consider and let us know afterwards what you thought. But before we dive into this interview, I just want to do a quick reminder. Together we move live. Jelena is partnering with dance studios and dance sponsors around the world to present series of workshops via Zoom. Tickets are available for those who can give more and support, as well as those who are financially affected by the pandemic. All proceeds go to benefit dance studios and event sponsors so that we may once again dance physically together once it is safe. You can register for these workshops via jelina.eventbrite.com. I will include link in the show notes. Hello, dear Aubrey. How are you doing? How is it going? <laughs> Hello. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you for participating. And I'm so excited because I was like, oh, my God, I don't even know what kind of questions to ask because there's so much stuff that you did and so many projects. And I just like, you know, as usual, like you don't have a script here, but I was like, I'm really curious in which direction our conversation will go. <laughs> so that's going to be very exciting. Welcome to the podcast. I know that you are in professional um uh, ballet dance oriental dance field for like about 20 years over I guess 20 years uh, at this point but do you remember how everything started what was what do you remember maybe that moment that was first time that you thought huh ballet dance what's that <laughs> Um, I, I most definitely do. I'm not sure any of us will ever forget those moments. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I, I'm not from the culture. Um, so I came into it as a young adult. Um, I've been a dancer my whole entire life, um, but more from the Western dance background. So I started with jazz and ballet and tap and hip hop and did a variety of different social dance forms. And it was actually when I started college, um, I was teaching at a local dance studio, um, and they, the local, the owner of that studio, um, her main background was Middle Eastern dance forms. And it was the first time I was really seeing the dance or hearing the music. And I will never forget the very first uh, studio show that we did for all the students. When the, the belly dancers came out, I was so in awe of their confidence and of this uh, just power that they had with the music and ownership of their expression that I hadn't really experienced before. And so uh, right after that, I signed up for my very first class and it quickly took over my life. <laughs> mm. I would never have guessed that this would, um, this would be my pathway. Uh, and that now I would be, yeah, 20 plus years later, um, an advocate of Arabic culture and art forms. Uh, and it's been an absolute blessing of a journey. Hmm. Before you uh, met ballet dance and started your relationships with ballet dance, what kind of profession did you dream about before? Well, I was I was in college for sciences, so my degree is actually in biology and chemistry. My plan was to save the world through environmental studies. Mm. <laughs> well, um, and all my life I've balanced out um, sciences and arts, and um, that was a, a colorful pathway by itself. Yes. <laughs> mm. Well, you are still saving the world now, just from different uh, using different tools and different perspective. <laughs> Ah, that's so. That's always so funny to hear. Like, what uh, was, uh, what were like other dreams of dancers uh, before they uh, uh, met belly dance, uh, and what were alternative uh, po potential possible like life journeys for for those uh, people who really influence and uh, so, such an active part of our today's belly dance community. <laughs> Our community is so wonderfully diverse. I think that's its um, major gift, actually, is that people come into this dance form from all different backgrounds and experiences and cultures and genders. And that diversity makes our community 
so inspiring always. And yeah, everyone comes in for different reasons, whether it was that they wanted to work out or they loved sparkly costumes or they loved <laughs> the culture or whatever the case is. And I, it's fascinating and yeah, always inspiring to hear how people come into this form. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, for sure. Uh, speaking of community and uh, activities, community activities, uh, especially these days during quarantine, there is more and more online activities, but uh, there are some things and trends that have been uh, uh, even before quarantine and one of those is like challenges for dancers and I know you just recently we were doing a challenge online ch Instagram challenge for uh, finger symbols and finger symbols I feel it's kind of uh, not forgotten but um, it's the prop and the tool that uh, Today is not that popular among ballet dancers as it used to be. Where did your love to finger symbols uh, came from? Well, when I started the dance form, my my first teacher was very much uh, very American. Um, so it really was deeply rooted in American cabaret, which has a lot of influences in Turkish style. So mm -hmm. the idea of performing with your finger symbols was essential. So um, we always had our finger symbols on. Um, it was our way of understanding the rhythm and the music and understanding how we were a part of the music in um, both an visual way as well as an auditory way. So within that base, it was um, a strong element of the dance form. And as as the dance has changed and evolved over time, yes, it definitely has gone put to the side. So a lot of dancers are not learning them. And it's one of those things that I find that even if a dancer never wants to perform within them, that uh, it's such a great way for them to learn their rhythms, um, timing, <laughs> how to really understand the music in a bigger kind of sense. Um, plus, yeah, it's just a, such a beautiful tradition that's strongly associated to certain types of this dance. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, it's not only the part of Turkish style, but even uh, many folklore styles have it as a traditional uh, instrument for them. Uh, it's also uh, very interesting, and I was uh, following like your activities, you have such a mix and combination of such a different uh, focuses, <laughs> and I don't know if they come, if they came right away at once, or it was something that added, because throughout, actually, I'm really curious, throughout your dance journey, uh, do you feel like different stages of your dance uh, um, um, evolu evolution, I guess I would say, and I'm more interested specifically like in focus area for your personal interest. Can you maybe looking uh, backwards on all your journey so far? Uh, do you feel that you had a stages that, or uh, you were focused and interested more in this uh, kind of uh, theme inside the ballet dance world? Then it grew up into something else like do you do you have anything like that or was it like all the activities all the fields of interest that you have right now they were from the very beginning right away <laughs> oh that's an amazing question um i feel like any artistic journey is such an organic pathway for most of us that as we move through that dance journey that we get these serendipitous gifts along the way 
Um, as I mentioned, my roots uh, really started within American cabaret styles, and I, I do feel very fortunate that my teacher uh, really tried to introduce a wide range of different dance forms and styles and aesthetics to us. Um, and even though they were really based in a more theatrical form, it gave me at least a flavor of the diversity that the dance really represented. And so from there, I, I found myself, one, really moving into the, the professional realm of performing and um, gigs and all of that fun stuff but pretty quickly, which, um, which looking back, I, was, I don't think I was really ready for, but <laughs> sometimes those things happen. And uh, what I found is that my life was really revolving completely around this dance and I realized that if my life was going to be around this dance, that I needed to understand the culture which it came from and its roots and history in a much bigger kind of way. And so around my early 20s, um, I shifted. I still did all of my very performative styles. So at that point, still doing a pretty solid American cabaret form, as well as starting to develop more understanding of Lebanese rakshaki. And... As I started um, in my kind of early 20s, I wanted to understand more of the folkloric roots of things. So that uh, pushed me into a wide range of different studies and has been a deep and amazing journey that has shifted the way that I think about my own dance in uh, many aspects, as well as how I can um, give back to the community and into the art form. So over probably, uh, well, at that point, uh, you could then hit the 20 year mark, um, has been more of a folkloric studying side of things, but I've always loved understanding what the community is doing in a larger kind of sense, the kind of big picture of what's happening in the community. So even if I didn't find a style necessarily of my own aesthetics, I would like to understand where it was coming from so that I wasn't making kind of unbiased uh, or biased, I should say, uh, reflections on it without any kind of understanding. And so I would learn about a wide range of different regional styles, um, different theatrical forms. Uh, and then in the later 90s, when fusion really started becoming more of a strong aspect in the community, just taking notes, studying, seeing what was happening within fusion, um, learning how things were being kind of brought together in this new experimental expression. And that really brought me full circle back into, I guess it would have been in the early 2000s when I started really exploring the idea of how I integrate all the various dance forms that I have learned as a form of expression of self and so I do a wide range of different fusion as well, which I prefer the term transnational because um, being multicultural and um, having a diversity of identity myself as a person, uh, I find that it's a dance form uh, that works well for my multi-ethnicity to experience and express um, my, my personhood through. So at this point, 
juncture of my life. And as I have continued learning and kind of unpacking various uh, colonialist aspects to our history, uh, I really think of my dance form within three kind of chapters. So I love the folkloric dances from all over the Arab world. And that's something that I I relish and um, so enjoy the community connection that comes with folkloric forms and how you get a chance to understand uh, smaller sections of the culture in that type of way, as well as traditions and nuances. So folkloric is a huge aspect of my life and um, something that makes my heart very happy. And then doing Raksharki, whether it's um, Lebanese forms or I have been studying Egyptian forms for many years now and um, something that I absolutely love doing and the poetic nature of that form as well as the empowered quality and the idea of the artist really curating the experience of the evening for the audience and the band and as well as um, the artist herself. And, and then also doing transnational fusion. So getting a chance to think about how I want to make maybe more provocative political statements through dance, um, through um, a hybrid of elements that have been um, synthesized together. Mm, that's so interesting. And also there is a huge, uh, uh, not sure if chapter, but at least thread, uh, because uh, you are also very active in combining dance and fitness aspect. And there is a lot of, you had a lot of projects uh, around that too. So um that's another, not sure if it's separate chapter, but at least like a thread going on on the side too. Um, but you know, before we dive into that part, I also there is a couple of things that really caught my attention that I would uh, love to dive in a little bit deeper. Uh, in your chapter, when you were focused on uh, folk studying, like really going deep into folklore um culture and folklore dance exploration was it that time that the idea of uh, kabila folk dance and foundation came out or was it later <laughs> um it that was definitely never something i planned on doing actually ah. <laughs> it, uh, kabila has uh, has been a gift and uh, the funny the reason i laugh about that is I really wanted to be a part of an Arabic folk dance company. And uh, most of the folk dance companies across the United States, at least, um, there are Debki groups. And then there are forms that are usually a little more on the theatrical side of things, um, but not necessarily ones that are focusing surely on the folkloric traditions of different um, dances from across the Middle East. And and I kept waiting. I kept waiting for somebody to create a group that I could be a part of. And there has been groups in the in the U.S. that have done this, um, but they had dissolved by the time um, that I was really looking um, to see what I could join. And so it was shortly after 9-11, actually, um, that I realized that um, – it needed to be present in the dance festivals and scenes that I was doing and a part of, and that within the current climate that I really wanted to make sure that the culture could be represented within this creative and connective quality. 
So I timidly started um, the group, uh, and I was extremely humbly surprised when I um, offered that first audition how many dancers came and really wanted to be a part of this project. And it has grown and evolved in so many ways over the years and um, has, has truly been a blessing but it was definitely not my goal. Uh, and I have had to work through a lot of my own questions within that um, because one being not from the culture itself, uh, it's, I, I really have a tremendous amount of respect um, for the culture and for the art and for the communities that we are representing. And so it's, it's been a lot of additional research and a lot of tremendous care to make sure that anything that we are presenting is done so with utter respect and love. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, the, the, the plan for Kabila was more so out of seeing a very strong need to have cultural representation in association to the dance. Hmm. And what is uh, uh, the like active the main activities and or mission of Kabila today because I notice it's not just a dance group it's more like a foundation if I'm not mistaken yes um so Kabila started as just the folk dance company and as we were kind of organically uh, growing and moving forward. Um, I was starting to offer more lectures and workshops in different educational settings and I realized that we could be a, a wonderful resource for um, the local community as well as um, the broader dance community um, in offering various educational resources. So that's where Kabila Folk Dance Company really started to expand into Kabila Foundation. And within that, um, our whole focus is that um, dance is a way to connect and allow everyone to belong. Um, that folk dance is a way to build cultural bridges across differences. And especially within a time period of um, heavy political strife and where especially most Americans are only getting a chance to learn and see representations of Arabic culture through the media and through very worn, worn context. Uh, it was a and continues to be a strong drive that we allow there to be a way to connect to people through an understanding of this culture from the absolute beauty and joy and richness and diversity that is the music and the dance. So we offer a wide range of different educational elements, performances, presentations, um, and working on um, a whole program right now, actually, that's focusing more on the ideas of how cultural education is being presented within our educational systems, both in public schools, private schools, as well as within the multiple studios that we have across the country, and really bringing about more discussions as to how we are representing culture in our various types of lessons and how we may able to offer tools for educators of all sorts to be have more sensitivity and understanding as to how cultures are being represented when they're say doing a, a history lesson or um you know literature or anything along those lines how we can be participating in learning about culture uh in a way that can bring about connection and respect 
Mm, that's so cool also to hear that you are focusing uh, your activities also onto general audience, not only among ballet dancers. Uh, but at the same time, it's uh, uh, I would love also to focus a little bit more on uh, ballet dance community because we have, uh, I feel, another uh, kind of uh, uh, layer of, I don't know how to say it, problem, not problem, but there is something happening that this uh, statement and this idea that, oh, you need to uh, learn uh, folklore, you need to understand the roots uh, of the dance, you need to understand traditions, it's used so often and so much that I feel that the younger generation of dancers, they very often kind of feel like, Ah, what, what, what for? It's like, it's just another, like, uh, uh, statement that again, like, it's said, uh, like, million times, but, um, uh, although we say that we need to know the roots and understand it, but many dancers may not feel like, where is the practical application? Like, what for do I need to study folklore if I'm not planning to perform folklore? Do you have any, uh, maybe, thoughts on this or maybe you even have any stories of how learning folklore influenced and informed you as an artist because you are such a like interesting combination of doing belly dance like in the like common traditional let's say understanding of it learning and going deep into folklore and also exploring a fusion aspect of this dance form so you really like you're not just focused on folklore you you have experience or interest deep interest in all these different uh ways of presenting dance so maybe you have any like stories or any thoughts of like why do we need to for belly dancers now i'm talking more like uh why if someone is only planning, at least for now, at least at this point of their dance journey, planning to focus mostly on oriental dance, on ballet dance, why is it still important for them to learn folklore? <laughs> um, I have lots of thoughts about this. <laughs> um, so, Because um, mainly I would say that dance is a language. And if we are participating as a part of the language, we need to understand how we express within the language. To only learn, say, like Raksharki or Oriental or belly dance is to only understand, say, like a conversational level of mimicry. I'm going to go ahead and go there f fully within this. Mm -hmm. If we do not understand where these movements and the context of these movements and gestures and how it connects to the music, we cannot understand how to express the dance form as a true sense of expression, that we will continue to only get a sense of kind of packaged form of the dance of how we have learned it from our teachers or from whatever workshops we're taking. We, it will never integrate as an artistic expression form. And I think we see a lot of that within the dance form right now. And I, I love that this dance is so popular all across the globe. Like that says it's, it's empowering quality to it, right? That it, it has, it's deeply embedded in so much healing and embodiment and confidence in so many different ways. And within that popularity, there is 
there's a learning process that happens. And I think the beginning really comes with such this open eyed sense of wonder that is just absolutely beautiful, right? That we are a sponge and we're soaking up anything we can of it. And some of the information that we are soaking up in that way is also not necessarily uh, true and accurate from a cultural perspective. And then as we keep pushing through, right, we start getting into this intermediate space where we get more of a physical understanding of how we do these techniques and how we can travel across space and how we add in nuances with our arms and our uh, choreography and our improvisation. And, and as, as a teacher, I will commonly make the reference that, um, the intermediate space is, is vital, but it's also a really dangerous space because it's when we start to be able to recognize what it is that we know. And commonly, I will find in this phase of our learning process, um, dancers will come to a, a sense of understanding that they know all of it. Mm. <laughs> Oh, got it. Right. And sometimes this comes with when you start performing and you get uh, recognition and it's complimentary from the audiences and everything along those lines. And I totally understand. Um, but if dancers do not push beyond that, um, they will never get into the mature elements of what it is to be truly expressive and understand the, the power and the deep richness that is this dance form. So even if if nobody wants to do folklore, which um, I've definitely have had a variety of fusion dancers actually um, that have wanted to study folklore because they realize they have come in through such uh, a dance form that is devoid of its cultural roots. So they want to understand more. And in learning about it, they have found so much joy that they have ended up uh, kind of sticking around and doing folklore. <laughs> Um, but even if a dancer never plans on doing folklore, it's it's vital. <laughs> it is absolutely vital to understanding where the dance comes from. And when you are especially not of the culture, it is your responsibility to understand how you are representing not just yourself and not just the dance, but a whole culture of people. And if we don't take upon that responsibility with devotion and seriousness, we continue to propagate potentially very harmful concepts, not just about the dance, but about the Arab woman, about the exotified other, about all of these concepts that may seem like something that is um, so far off and not applicable to a dancer that is doing a dance in um, a little restaurant somewhere or something. But we, we're all connected in how we are representing this culture to the public. So even if a dancer doesn't think that they are being a culture representative, they are. So it's so important that we understand this responsibility. And I'm also giving ourselves some loving kindness that we are all learning and we may have made some unwise decisions in the past. And, and, and from my perspective, I think that's, that's okay. It's more that we continue learning and that as we learn new things that we integrate them and make better decisions. Hmm. Where do you think is that line uh, between uh, going uh, strictly with traditions in terms of like representing the culture, but at the same time having artistic uh, uh, freedom of going into creative worlds uh, inspired by whatever culture like in this case of course we are talking like ballet dance but i'm even in generally speaking like uh, 
uh, does the place of, uh, I don't know, let's say fantasy worlds, does it have any place to exist or should we just try to keep it more towards like what is the tradition says? Uh, I think there are two different questions in there, um, actually. So the first part of it is that I would say that traditions really are elements that are from the past, right? So we're understanding the past and every art form is experiencing and expressing the present. So every art form continues to evolve and cultures evolve, people evolve, right? So what we're doing within the art is built upon the traditions and the past and the history that this dance form is. Um, if we are doing something within an educational form or that we are kind of encapsulating something as a moment of history, and I'll put like quote unquote authenticity, right? That we are putting um, that within a certain place and a certain time, that, that will have an encapsulation around what the aesthetics are, what's being expressed. It's, in, it, it's a capsule of context of how the dance was expressed in that time and place. But when we are thinking about art, art is a current um, today in the now expression, right? So um, when we're thinking about how we navigate the ideas of tradition, it's one honoring that we have our own unique voice and perspective and experiences, and we are bringing that into our dance always. And it's about being aware of how we're bringing that into the dance so that uh, if we are not thinking of ourselves as being kind of museum pieces, um, that we are working to express something within the present, right? With in how most people are actually experiencing this dance form, especially dance, it's an ephemeral art form, right? It, it exists in that moment and then it's gone forever. That we have to acknowledge um, where, we are, where we stand now. Uh, and this is why I think this dance form has such a beautiful quality of acknowledging the maturity that comes with life. And as we understand more of ourselves and more of the world, how we could bring that into the dance form. So, so there's that part of it. And along those lines too, I would say that within any art form, that you're learning, again, I'll use that analogy of the language, that you're learning a language. And within that, you are expressing you, but through that language. So if you do, say, a certain style, so say like you do Egyptian Raksharki or something along those lines, right, that you have, you have an agreement of a certain kind of uh, scope of expectations. You have a certain scope of the language of which you're going to pull from and that how you use that language is an expression of you, of the uniqueness of you in that moment. So you fully get a chance to express who you are, but through that aesthetic lens. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that it's, it's not a restriction, actually, it's, um, it's a creative container of which you are um, stepping into kind of an agreement with your audience. So they have a certain expectation as what language you're going to be speaking with them with. Uh, and that will allow a sense of trust and vulnerability, not just for the performer, but for the audience so that everybody can have that shared experience together. Again, using that language idea, I think, is a perfect analogy within that. If we uh, throw in other dances or elements that are not of that 
style, uh, that symbolism may get lost on our audience in a kind of way that means that we're then speaking a language that they no longer understand. And if we're not trying to express something, then what would be the point? So, so there's that half of it. Um, and then the other half would be the idea that you brought up the word fantasy. And I think this is uh, an interesting concept within it, because really when we're thinking about fantasy, right, the idea of um, our imagination, right, in um, these different aspects that can really be explored through art. And there's there's so much in that, that of where we can kind of see into the future and um, be able to express various things. The danger about fantasy is that sometimes it's embedded in caricatures in a way that be, can be reinforcing stereotypes <laughs> that actually could be doing more damage than good. And although some of those characters might seem really fun on the surface, um, knowing the history of those um, stereotypes is extremely important so that you are not creating um, a damaging effect on an art form that you love. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. But at the same time, I just now had an interesting idea, which I don't know how I even like think about it. But I would be curious to know your opinion. Because if like we see uh, things from this lens, it's kind of like we are putting, I guess, full responsibility on artists only. And we don't put any responsibility and we don't... Um, don't acknowledge our audience as a mature audience who will also understand what they're seeing and will see where is like okay is it like really tradition or is it just artistic expression or artistic fantasy like you know it's it's also like and this is something i've never thought even about like um is it just full responsibility of the artist of what comes out of performance or is there any responsibility from the audience too? Hmm. Well, I think that's an extra complicated question, especially <laughs> when you live outside of the culture and you yeah. potentially are working with audiences that are very mixed or that you may be actually performing for audiences that know very little about the culture, right? So in that way, you are then as the artist representing, right? So it, it really depends on what audience you're working with. and um, like who you're communicating in that type of way. And uh, the extra complicated aspect of this is now that dance is happening online, right? That um, a lot of our dance performances are not able to be curated to a specific audience, right? So if I'm performing, say, for like a Greek audience, I'm going to select music and dance that I know will connect with them. Not that I'm forgoing their ability to be a part of it, but that I want them to be included in the experience, right? Um, versus if I'm doing a performance for an Egyptian audience, right? I'm going to make different types of decisions. But when I'm throwing something online, I have no control or understanding of who that audience is going to be, which means um, that we we open up the context of how the dance is going to be experienced. And this dance is very contextualized. Um, how we perform folkloric dances in, uh, say, a wedding versus in a home versus on the theater, they all change the decisions of how we move and how we um, express. Um, if, if in a, you just use the uh, uh, example of the largeness of the movement, right? Uh, but 
when we throw it online, right, you lose that context. And I think I've watched a variety of um, slightly unfortunate conversations online happening about the dance form of a video without us as the audience taking responsibility of including the context that the dance is happening in, right? Like when you're watching a video, like, well, where is this dancer? She's in a nightclub. Okay. Well, what is, what is the, the space of what you, what, how you do the dance and how you activate and communicate in a nightclub that's totally different. So I watch people like judge the dance form as if it would be the same on a stage or something. And I make the analogy commonly that like when I'm in a nightclub, right, I'm, I'm like, I'm dancing with my girlfriends. I, I'm going to do totally different nuanced movement with them because I'm connecting to them within that moment. I'm not going to do those same dance movements in front of my grandmother. Right. And when I'm on a theater stage, right, that's the kind of idea. Like when I'm on a theater, like I want my grandmother to be in the audience and be like, yes, that was lovely. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> and so when I'm watching a video, I really try to um, press this point upon within my students that one, we're opening ourselves up to being interpreted by a variety of different people that are not taking into consideration the context of the video itself. And I do really hope that we can start having more dialogue as um, active participants of the dance from the audience's perspective to take that into consideration, to understand that a video has maybe come from a private space and then has made complete completely public by putting it online, right? And how it changes the value that is being put into the intention, right? So again, like that video, like if I'm dancing in a nightclub and like, just like in a social way with my girlfriends and somebody put that online, right? It And out of context, it might look disrespectful or it might look lewd in some type of way, right? Like Again, think about like when you're hanging out with your friends, right? You do silly, goofy things that won't make sense outside of the circle of your friends, right? So like understanding that that context, I think, is, is extremely valuable in how we think about um, perceiving dance from the audience's perspective as well. But again, it's complicated when we're working with audiences that may be very diverse and may have very little experience within the dance or the music. And thus, we may be the first representation of the dance and thus of any type of Middle Eastern art form to this person. And that is a big responsibility, but it is something to consider. Mm, so definitely uh, I'm very happy like you brought uh, up uh, this perspective and for me it was very spontaneous question <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah it's so uh, we are unfortunately too quick to judge and like uh, people especially in the uh, online space that I feel uh, it has certain um, some people just feel more secure to go into this judgment space right away if it's not face-to-face -face conversation uh, but having the screen kind of uh, feels uh, makes some people be uh, feel allowed to give the judgment right away, and of course there are different situations. But in many cases, it's unfortunate how quick we right away want to put some label or judgment or, or description without trying to see it from different perspective. And that's something like I was even like really curious even for myself like. Uh, do we have any responsibility as audience too? That's that's a very interesting <laughs> something for everyone to think about. <laughs> um, 
we, um, when we're jumping to those conclusions, right, we're making a lot of assumptions as to what we know. And in those moments, we're creating basically a lot of assumptions based upon our experience, based upon our own stereotypes and bias. And that becomes really dangerous. And and I will just say from my experience, I see that type of behavior more so from dancers that are not of the culture that I feel, and again, this is my opinion, but I feel that they are trying to prove their understanding of the dance and the art form. And and it's it's an unfortunate element that I think is happening because so much of the dance is existing online, especially right now within our whole pandemic. And it would be wonderful if people could one, yes, understand their opinions about things, acknowledge them. Yes, absolutely. But then also take a moment with them and think about what are they assuming, right? It's, it's kind of like when you're, when you're driving and the guy behind you starts honking because they don't see that there's a pedestrian walking across the street, right? Like the guy behind you that's honking and thinking that you're not paying attention is making an assumption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's, it's that same type of thing of like when we are throwing comments up, especially like, well, if we're throwing a judgment up on something, one, what is the purpose of that? Are we, are we doing that to somehow feel good about ourselves to somehow express that we know something better, right? Like, oh, well, Ooh, that's that dangerous intermediate space, right? When we may not be able to acknowledge the fact that we don't know everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are, we can learn something from everybody, everyone, we can, everyone can be a teacher. I loved your analogy with the driver behind you. <laughs> That's so so true. <laughs> um speaking about online space and sharing dance online, uh how did you find that you first started uh sharing your uh transnational dance fusion online for again for audience it was you you couldn't like predict what kind of audience it will really reach. Uh, what was uh, the experience for you in terms of uh, sharing your dance journey online? And specifically, I'm interested about, uh, I'm curious about uh, not traditional, let's say, like neither belly dance nor, uh, nor folklore. It's something that really comes from your personal space of how you feel the dance. So what was your experience of sharing it online? Um, I, I've the fusion, sorry, paused on that. I was like, Oh, that's a complicated question. Oh, I, I guess we, we are talking today about, uh, complicated questions. I'm sorry to, to give I you hard time. So much. I know, I know it's just, it's just feeding me in a, in a wonderful way. Uh. Um, my fusion has been, um, a very eclectic journey and, the earlier on versions of things, right, where they were very experimental, they were very unrefined. I was floundering around trying to figure out what it is that I was saying. And those, those forums, when I would put them out online, um, I would get both, um, comments about like the things that would focus on technique that would be like, you know, they would be wowed by the athleticism of something. And, and those are gratifying to a certain kind of extent. But for me personally, as an artist, I feel like if, 
if a movement is what is getting focused on, then I've lost their emotive connection in that moment. So it was, I knew that I was still working on things when I would get comments like that. Although again, it's nice. Oh, thank you for acknowledging my good technique. But if you're seeing my technique and my dancing, something else is missing. Um, and then I would also get commonly a lot of questions of what is this? Right. Like of, of people really wanting a label on things. And I think this is really when you get into um, any type of uh, exploratory and experimental art space. It, it's it's specifically stepping outside of boundaries of expectation. And that can be very complicated and confusing for audiences um, because you're not setting an agreement with them ahead of time. Right. When you put labels on something, you're setting an agreement. When I say that I'm doing flamenco, right, that an audience understands like, OK, I, I, know, I have an idea of what it is that I'm going to be doing in that or what I'm going to experience. Right. And so when you say something like fusion or um, transnational, right, like that, oh, that can be a lot of different things. And so. And since most audiences still at that point, were not entirely clear as to that experimental space that if they had a limited exposure to various fusions, right, that they might think, oh, that's what fusion is. Oh, wait, but that's different. Now I'm confused. What is fusion? I don't understand anymore. And it and really opening up to the experimental quality that it is going to be. And within an experiment, right, some things are going to work, some things are not going to work. And that is... Um, it's it's an interesting journey to have within an audience that may be really looking for um, boundaries to try to understand it. Ooh, uh, my mind just shot over to the idea too of um, commonly too we have this kind of group mentality around our ideas of taste that if uh, if somebody's looking at something we're not always great about understanding if we genuinely like it or don't like it for our from our own perspective there's a lot of influence that happens um, by our peers and the people that we look up to that um, can easily negate our own concepts of what we genuinely like what our own tastes are right that we end up kind of following the group in some type of way to be a part of the community like oh everyone said this is great so that must be great. And, and un unfortunately, without really investigating what is it that we genuinely like ourselves, then uh, we have a harder time being able to look at something that doesn't have restricted boundaries of say like a genre or a style onto it and being able to uh, understand or partake in its experience. Um, because it's, it sits outside, it's new, it's totally completely new. And that's that's the amazing, wonderful part about it. But for audience members that are not necessarily confident in what they do or do not like, separately from maybe um, current trends, uh, it can be more uncomfortable to be able to try to navigate a new experience and be open to it. So within that, as my fusion has has more solidified within what it is that I'm expressing and saying, I don't really have those same questions anymore. I get more 
reflections back as to how the piece made them feel, um, the, the content of the piece itself. Um, and I know that I'm hitting my artistic expression when the comments that I'm getting back from things are more about the art versus about how I'm defining my dance or what I'm doing within my dance, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. that the variables of the dance are not what's standing out, but the expression is what's standing out. Mm. And what is important for you to express the uh, via dance? Is it different for every dance piece, or is there you find that there is some like common threads, uh, uh, maybe throughout time periods, but obviously it will change from time to time. But uh, um, I don't know if it's a direct message or just a feeling. What What is the most important for you from artistic uh, expression and fulfillment in your dancing? Uh, within my dance, I'm constantly exploring my ideas of self and of the world and of the moment. And so the external topic or um inspiration for a piece may change all the time, but it is constantly in that journey of wanting to understand more, um, both internally as well as externally. So my pieces really range in uh, topic, but they there's a connective thread in that and really investigating um, my own perspective from that, my unique take within that topic, but also exploring the ideas of universal truths. And if we think about like doing a piece about falling in love, how um, the details of how we've experienced that might be very different, but there are emotive qualities underneath that that will resonate across in many ways. And so creating and exploring the idea of art that can touch upon these core kind of qualities will allow me to connect to people from a wider range of experiences and backgrounds. And I'm always deeply fascinated within that because then there is a, a deeper sense of truth within it as well. The, the work that I've been creating, um, especially within fusion over the last few years has definitely been more on the political bent Um, and as I've been looking to how we can explore concepts and, um, heavier topics, sometimes it's easier to do through art. And since dance is my art, it is, um, by far the, the best way that I know how to explore concepts that, um, maybe I can't do so within words or, um, other forms, So whether it's a piece about mental health or about Black Lives Matter or about um, feminist or uh, immigration, uh, a wide range of different topics within my fusion, um, the idea of humanity in um, the industrial age, uh, I've done a variety of different pieces that are really about exploring um, a a deeper sense of understanding of a topic um, that allows it to be a full embodiment and visceral experience. So it allows me to journey through the complex emotions around that topic um, and to present hopefully something that will resonate with audiences to help them explore those complex topics as well. Mm. You know, you have such a fascinating arc in your dance journey. I was just thinking like coming from a, a completely like a, what we consider like a, traditional like common sense like american uh, cabaret uh, style and exploring it and going deep into folklore 
and uh, now like getting uh, and thriving in the in the world of experimental dance uh, which is not even limited it's not like a ballet dance per se but it's 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 really experimental like how you call it a transnational uh dance that doesn't even need a definition of <laughs> what exactly it is and at the same time remaining all elements and all your let's say previous loves <laughs> with you because you still work with Kabila Folk Dance Foundation uh, and I know you have other projects too like uh, Lumina uh, Dance Company um, if I'm not mistaken and uh, I'm not sure if, if um, how to pronounce correctly Biyaja Dance Theater is it still yeah. yes yeah that's my um, it's mainly my uh, student group uh, that allows uh, us to explore very classic styles, um, but also in a larger group. So we get to do um, complex staging and um, presentations of the dance in um, both more of a golden age time period, but also um, exploring more modern styles as well. Wow, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. You have such a mix of everything and it feels so like naturally combined in you. <laughs> as uh, so it's it's not like you had one stage uh, and then you move completely to different one you still remain those threads throughout different uh facets of this dance genre uh which is yeah. very very fascinating and one of the things that definitely like even listening to you like you you kind of can feel this hunger to explore more and more and this is even something that i noticed like you constantly keep um self-education going even after like 20 years or over 20 years in professional ballet dance uh, world and you still keep educating yourself this is the quality that really uh really is uh so valuable and so uh, often so like missed by many dancers that kind of stop at that point that we were talking earlier you mentioned like the dancer may reach the point that they think they know everything and they stop and they don't continue to to explore more and this is not the case with you definitely <laughs> no and thank you and it's um it's kind of a funny element too uh right now i know we're all missing our our dance festivals and everything um but I'm one of those people that will always go to different dance festivals, whether I'm teaching at them or um, partaking them uh, as a student or as a performer and take a variety of workshops. And it's um, a variety of the teachers in this community know that they'll always see me taking a bunch of workshops. And, and I've had some really interesting conversations with various uh, master teachers about that who both are amazed that I do that, um, but also that culturally speaking, um, for certain areas, they don't feel that they can readily do that without it being projected negative to, negatively on them. Mm. And I understand where they're, what they're saying within it, um, but I feel that we will perpetuate that concept if we uh, avoid it. And I am here as a humble servant to the art, um, not to my ego. So uh, 
my perspective is always that I want my students, one, to be able to see that I'm always working and that they need to as well. And uh, that uh, I'm going to be in workshops and that I'm also not going to ask them to work harder than I would work. And, um, and knowing that, yeah, there is a vastness of things that we will constantly be able to learn. And, and that is the motivation and the inspiration always. And, oh goodness, there's so much to learn about within just the dance itself, let alone the multitude of different evolutions it's gone through. Um, or if you're thinking about the complexities of the music or the nuance or how we continue to embody uh, our own forms and techniques with nuance and oh there's just so much mm. <laughs> and another like i feel like treasure uh note like yeah that's so like you you cannot expect your students to work harder than you like i mean you can but like <laughs> uh it doesn't really make much sense to expect from your students to work harder than the teacher uh, works for her own development and this is one of the key i guess for many teachers who uh they're not uh they stop being afraid of losing students or that they, they stop having the fear that all oh, the students will get better or open their own studios or uh go to another teacher or, or or something like that or start judging me it's like this is the path and key for uh having even confidence in your constant growing and evolving and have that freedom really freedom to be able to contribute to students without any of those back thoughts like oh but what if it's like it's it's literally a freedom to be a really the teacher that you wish you you have for yourself <laughs> yeah and i think um the other comes from a, a feeling of scarcity right the idea that oh i'm gonna tap out like this is all i can do this is all i know you know that that fear that um like, you know, then people will know that um, everything I know kind of situation uh, or something along those lines. And or that, yeah, the idea that your students will outgrow you. And it's just like, well, we're but we're all different. We all have something different to offer. Um, that scarcity mentality is so it's such a hard one to kind of move beyond. Um, but it it limits one what we are capable of. It limits what our, our students are capable of. It's it limits how we can connect and support each other as a community um, when we are looking at it from a space of scarcity and thus competition instead of truly understanding the vastness of one, what the art form is a, like can do and is capable of and what our community can do and is capable of. And uh, I feel like we have conversations a lot of times about raising our expectations or about uh, shifting um, the public's concept of what this dance form is, right? Raising their expectations. And I think that really has to come internally in understanding um, that there's so much more than maybe what we've experienced and uh, that we can keep diving in both into the history as well as into the far branches of the tree <laughs> to see where it can go and that within that concept of abundance that we can create a space where everybody really gets to shine in their own uniqueness and um and we need that we need 
We need people to see what their gifts are, what their innate um, individual gifts are, that they can bring those into the world in just a bigger kind of way versus us all trying to be copycats of each other or trying to imitate each other. And I think that's one of the powers of this dance form really brings in is that it really allows us to dive into a sense of understanding and respect to our own voice that we can bring into things, our uniqueness. Mm, so good. <laughs> and regarding uh, dance festivals, whenever you travel as a teacher in dance festivals, did you present uh, your uh, transnational dance fusion at the ballet dance festivals to dancers who are not your regular students who already may be familiar uh, with uh, the dance uh, style, dance interpretation like this? Well, the hard part about being a dance artist that does a wide range of different things is when somebody asks me to um, yeah, come and teach or perform. And I always have to specify, I'm like, do you want a certain style? Because right, some people know me as more of a Raksharki dancer. Some people know me mainly for folkloric. Some people mainly know me for fusion. Uh, and uh, so their expectations on me may be very specific. So Whenever I'm uh, teaching or performing somewhere, I, I do try to specify those things out. And, and knowing that um, within fusion in particular, uh, that uh, there has to be a certain kind of openness in where that can come from or that it is thematic in some type of way. Um, so most of my transnational Uh, performances have either been a part of public performances that are um, more specific about a cause or um, an idea of some type of way versus the idea of the dance itself, or that they're within uh, fusion festivals. Uh, and even within that, my fusion will really be very different than most of what people will see, but um, that it definitely is something to take into consideration, especially since a lot of my fusion pulls upon some pretty heavy, raw topics. And um, I don't want to throw that onto uh, an audience that's not prepared for it. Uh, last year, I debuted a piece that was specifically about suicide awareness. And I, I've only been able to perform it twice, uh, because that's a topic that's extremely difficult and can be really triggering for many audience members. And so I have to be very specific as to where I offer that piece of art. Because, um, yeah, it's it's a space of agreement with the audience and the artist. And you you want to be able to push those expectations, but it, it needs to be in a way that is not <laughs> uh, kind of disrespectful to your audience. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. You want to be able to connect to them. Uh, I don't want an audience to feel like my piece has happened to them. Uh, I want them <laughs> to they were a part of the experience and we were a part of it together mm, that's a nice way to to put it and uh, uh yeah like the experimental dance and especially the uh dance around different cause or uh, having some political statement or message it's uh, something that is not uh uh not like in a everyday understanding of general audiences what is dance is <laughs> it's getting a little bit more and more like but it's more uh 
I guess this concept is more familiar and more common in the contemporary and modern genres. Right. It's getting yeah. more, but not in a dense, like, overall, like... Uh, uh, I saw some even like uh, in different like styles, not ballet dance necessarily, but like flamenco dancers. They also sometimes I saw several pieces that incorporate this element of it, but this is not something typical that we uh, expect to see from the dance. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I can definitely uh, understand the uh, concerns regarding like the place and audience for whom it's presented and how it's also. Uh, literally presented before the performance uh, actually even started. And I think there's within that too, that uh, we have a complexity within our dance form that is really true about navigating entertainment versus art. And, and I think that art can be entertaining and I think entertainment can be art. I don't think that those are actually need to be separate, but when you're working within entertainment, right, that you are, um, you're creating an experience specifically for the audience that's not really demanding, right? Like, like the audience uh, generally in entertainment is um, they can kind of sit back and 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 watch it like a TV, right? They're not having to be engaged in a, a more direct kind of way. Whereas in art, um, it's it's asking something of the audience, and and with Within that, it, there's a there's the complexity too that I think a lot of dancers have only gotten a chance to know this dance um, from an entertainment standpoint, especially in various uh, Western uh, countries where most of our dancing may happen at like a nightclub. Um, you know, where it's like you come in and you're kind of the spectacular fireworks show for the evening and then you leave. And um, we don't necessarily get a chance to dive into even how if you go to a show, say in Cairo, it's it's it is entertaining, but uh, it is still it, it still has a lot to say. And I think um, a lot of dance forms have investigated the idea that expression from the body can easily and uh, subtly as well as overtly be politi a political statement by itself and that we can harness that to be a part of our expression or we can uh, kind of pretend like it's not a part of things. And uh, if we're not aware of it, how it may not be expressing what we think we're trying to express. <laughs> mm, that's interesting angle to see it too. <laughs> And from the point of view for you as a dancer, uh, your work on creating the piece, uh, choreographing the piece, uh, experimental, uh, transnational fusion piece, and vice versa, for instance, uh, uh, classical uh, Raksharki piece. The choreographing process, I don't know actually in Raksharki, uh, neither in uh, transnational fusion style do you use choreography or is it improvisation, but when you're working on a certain piece, would be your preparation and work different for these dance styles or is it kind of the same but maybe with different just intentions and dance vocabulary? How do you approach, is it kind of, does it have any significant differences in your uh, style of like let's say choreographing even if it's like preparing for improvisation 
So with any piece, whether it's improv or choreography, um, the, the preparations are actually pretty much the same. There may just be more kind of uh, preparation happening um, for fusion on gathering more of the tools before I actually start creating the piece. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So generally with any piece, right, it's what is the intention of the piece? What is the arc of that piece? Uh, what is the context? Who is the audience? Um, right. So I can understand um, kind of what is needing to be expressed more specifically. And then within that, how I kind of mentioned is it's like gathering the tools, right? It's understanding uh, what type of movement vocabulary, what are the aesthetics, um, what type of like maybe staging or lighting or costuming, um, you know, is it going to be a video piece? Is it going to be on a theater? Is it going to be in a nightclub? Like understanding all those things. So that you're gathering your tools and, and those tools are more open for fusion pieces. So um, there may be more preparation in understanding those elements than it might be for say, like something that's rakshaki or folkloric. Um, but it's, it's the same kind of idea of understanding what is the purpose of the piece itself. So you gather all these tools and then from there be able to create the piece so that you're being clear within the intention and the language of what you're expressing. Mm. That's interesting because I just uh, thought like it's it's a very different, uh, um, I guess, intention or like the nature visually from the performance. Like when, when we see performance, the nature feel of the dance feels very different. So I was curious uh, from the point of view of creation, <laughs> this piece okay. is a different or, or the same. <laughs> And I think because um, from that idea is that when we're creating something that may be in the more traditional realm, that the context, the tools that we're pulling from are more readily assumed, right? That mm -hmm. The idea that, yeah. um, but, but within that too, like if I'm creating an opening, right, I'm going to be utilizing different elements of things than versus like I'm going to do a ballady or a drum solo or, you know, like mm -hmm. a psych right? Like there's still a preparation involved in how you are specific within what that piece is. And if we are not specific, then the piece um, can be really difficult actually to create. And the more time that we can put into the preparation within that, the easier the choreographic process can be. Mm. That's interesting. Thank you for sharing <laughs> some tips and insights too. Um, I feel like there is the whole uh, another chapter and topic about your training and incorporating yoga and Pilates uh, uh, in your uh, conditioning and dance training and your experience because you actually you were a faculty uh, in the university uh, like focusing on dance and uh, uh physical training too but i kind of feel it's a huge huge other topic that uh, um maybe we, sh we can do part two <laughs> of the interview <laughs> in the future because even your project or uh, all stars work out it's it's you didn't it was interesting for me because you didn't separate it in a separate chapter from your perspective how you saw your career but at the same time it, it's such a like a strong uh, part of your uh, activities at least it seems uh, from an outside uh, that um, and that it's very interesting like how you incorporate in condition uh, your body and prepare it for dance but I think I also want to be mindful of our time because I know for you it's just the beginning <laughs> 
beginning of the day and I, I feel we can talk and talk for hours, but I don't want to take over your entire day today. Um, I can say though, though, along those lines, mm -hmm. um, it is a whole section of things, uh, but it's it's not as compartmentalized as what it may appear to be. Mm. Um, for me, dance is both an art, but also a physical form, right? Um, so how I how I can create my dance, um, I have to be one in practice with my body at all times. And so it's the same type of thing of like understanding how to cook food and understanding nutrition, right? And the idea of life. Like, um, being a chef is kind of a whole other kind of side of things, but understanding how to cook things that are nutritious and yummy for you, right? Like it, 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 that it creates value to the quality of your life as dancers. If we understand the more that we understand about the physical nature of our practice can open up what our bodies are capable of doing, can do things like help prevent injury, can, can continue to create a longevity in the pathway of what we can do physically speaking. So the, the physical side of it is, um, both that science side from way back when, when I was, um, was doing my studies in science and, um, in biology and chemistry, but it's also really about understanding the tool that is your body. And as a dancer, that's the essential part. So for me, dance is these two elements. It's developing the artistic expression and, uh, the actual, and the physical, uh, practice itself. And that those things are continuing to evolve and change as our bodies and our understanding of the world continues to grow and change. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Well, uh, definitely a topic for future discussions. <laughs> Curious to know more about that from your perspective. Uh, in any case, I really, before I ask our final summary question, I really want to thank you for taking time and sharing and dealing with my uh complex and challenging questions today <laughs> i loved it thank you so much i really appreciated this because i i want uh i hope more people will engage in conversations around these topics and really get a chance to investigate where they their own thoughts about it their own opinions about it it's really important for how we're going to move our community forward yeah, that's true. Well, definitely, even for me during this conversation, I already come up with a couple of questions for me to think about, like, oh, what's my opinion actually about that? But uh, thank you for approaching them and uh, um, uh, being on spot, uh, uh, but sharing uh, sharing very insightful and very inspirational uh, perspective on many, many different things. And uh, uh, where I would love to ask you, where would uh, people be able to find more and where can they follow you and follow your dance activities? Oh, well, I have a website, aubreyhill.com. I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> I'm on TikTok. Uh, I, I have, uh, I love social media as a way of connecting to people from all over. So, um, they can reach me in any of those platforms. Mm, definitely. I will put all links in the show notes. And now I, I kind of feel like more and more that I will start need to put, uh, to add TikTok links to. <laughs> Feels like it's gonna take over soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun <laughs> yeah well looking forward i didn't see your tiktok channel so looking forward to check it out <laughs> 
Um, and for our podcast, we have a traditional uh, question that I ask absolutely all of our guests, regardless of what we talk throughout uh, the interview time. And I would like to ask you also this our traditional summary question, if you don't mind. <laughs> so the question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years. This dance form, one, allowed me to experience and express a wide range of emotions in a way that I hadn't come across before. I love dance and I have loved every dance form I have come across, but this dance is my home um, because of that. And it has empowered me to understand my uniqueness in a way that is a strength um, versus something that I feel uh, judgmental against, right? If we think of a variety of classical dance forms, right? They have a rigid concept as to how you're supposed to look or be. And this form really celebrates our diversities in a way that I find so beautiful and empowering in just a tremendous type of way. That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.